0: Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. I'm your host and Bible guide, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it now to Exodus chapter 28. For the last couple of chapters, we've been talking about the tabernacle and the main items that it contained. Here now, the transition is from the structure to the servants. A sanctuary requires officiants, and these officiants are outfitted in a very peculiar way. There's a sense in which they would have looked to the Israelites like a type of ruling class. In the ancient world, vestments conveyed authority. The only people wearing a uniform were the people in charge. And in Israel, before the institution of the monarchy, which came much later, it was, in fact, the priests who were in charge. And the uniform intends to convey that. Not only did they wear a uniform, they wore a gold uniform. This was an uber-fancy uniform, and it would have communicated in very clear terms that these people were not regular people. They had been literally invested with divine authority. These priests were dressed as were the princes in most other ancient cultures. And yet, here's where it gets interesting, their function was more like that of a servant. Remember, the tabernacle was essentially designed to look like the homestead of a wealthy nomad. When you went to the home of a wealthy nomad, it wasn't the guests who prepared the meal. It wasn't the guests who stood at the grill and used the fork to turn the meat. It was the host who was responsible for such things. He didn't do those things himself, of course. He delegated those tasks to his servants. So in this picture, we have priests who are dressed like kings, but who function as servants. That's the imagery. That would have been the visual experience for people when they visited the tabernacle, particularly for the first time. What an odd ruling class, you would have said to yourself. They appear to be royal, but they are engaged in very humble activities. Remember J. Alec Machir said the tabernacle could make a strong bid to be the greatest of all biblical visual AIDS. Well, it doesn't take a PhD in biblical studies to ferret out the meaning here. Leadership in the kingdom of God is a slightly different thing. There is tremendous dignity, yes, but also tremendous humility. We we do look like kings. We are robed in the righteousness of Christ, and yet in the kingdom of God and in the economy of Jesus, The greatest leaders among us are servants of all. That's the idea here. Remember, according to the New Testament, if we are in Christ, then we collectively are a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, according to 1 Peter 2, 5 and 9 to 10. So this is not just some dusty Old Testament ceremonial text that you can skim through and generally ignore. This text is teaching... And this imagery is communicating to any who have eyes to see and ears to hear. So hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill, that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checker work, a turban, and a sash. They shall make Holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. In these opening verses, we're told that Aaron and his sons shall function as the priests. The priesthood is not a job you can apply for, it is something that is assigned to you by God. God is always the prime actor. In Bible stories. You might as well wrap your head around that now because that's not going to change no matter how deep you get into the scriptures. God moves. God acts. God saves. God calls. And God equips. And that's what's going on here. Most of these instructions that will follow have to do with the outfit of the high priest. The instructions for the regular priests are actually quite brief. They're fancy, but not as fancy as the high priest. And again, you can figure out that symbolism for yourself, I'm sure. Our dignity as Christians is marvelous, but it is nothing but a reflection of the glory and the majesty of Christ, our great high priest. You'll notice in verse 5 that the colors and the materials used for the priestly outfits was very similar to the materials and colors associated with the inner curtain that would have been visible inside the holy place, and the most holy place. Again, the symbolism is fairly straightforward. The priests and the high priest would go into the tent and meet with God in a special way, and then they would come out looking like the God they have encountered. They would bring some of that holy, we might say, with them into the outer court. That's exactly what we call sanctification in the New Testament. We all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord as though in a mirror are being transformed by one degree of glory to the next into the same image. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.18 So we too see the Lord and are changed. And we too go out into the outer court and hopefully reflect a little bit of what we've seen inside. That's the idea. Praise the Lord. Now, as with the tabernacle, the instructions move from the most important items downward. The most important item in terms of the high priest's outfit was the ephod. And so God describes that to Moses now, beginning at verse 6. And they shall make the ephod of gold of blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and of fine twined linen, skillfully worked. It shall have two shoulder pieces attached to its two edges, so that it may be joined together, and the skillfully woven band on it shall be made like it, and be of one piece with it, of gold, blue and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen." You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on the one stone and the names of the remaining six on the other stone in the order of their birth. As a jeweler engraves signets, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree. And you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. You shall make settings of gold filigree and two chains of pure gold twisted like cords, and you shall attach the corded chains to the settings." Now, there are a couple of different types of ephod mentioned in the Old Testament, but this one, obviously, was a type of clothing worn by the high priest. It appears to have been a sort of sleeveless vest. The distinguishing feature of this vest was the shoulder pieces made of two stones that were engraved with the names of the twelve sons of Israel. These are for remembrance which seems to suggest that the job of priests is to remember the people of God before the Lord. A priest prays for the people. He goes to God on behalf of the people, and then he goes to the people on behalf of God. That seems to be the idea. Next, in importance, we have the breastpiece of judgment, beginning at verse 15. You shall make a breastpiece of judgment in skilled work. In the style of the ephod, you shall make it of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen shall you make it. It shall be square and doubled, a span its length, and a span its breadth. You shall set in it four rows of stones, a row of sardius, topaz, and carbuncle shall be the first row, and the second row an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond, and the third row a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst, and the fourth row, a barrel an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree. There shall be twelve stones with their names, according to the names of the sons of Israel. They shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the twelve tribes. You shall make for the breastpiece twisted chains like cords of pure gold. and You shall make for the breastpiece two rings of gold, and put the two rings on the two edges of the breastpiece. And you shall put the two cords of gold in the two rings at the edges of the breastpiece. The two ends of the two cords you shall attach to the two settings of filigree, and so attach it in front to the shoulder pieces of the ephod. You shall make two rings of gold and put them at the two ends of the breastpiece on its inside edge next to the ephod. And you shall make two rings of gold and attach them in front to the lower part of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod at its seam above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And they shall bind the breast piece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue so that it may lie on the skillfully woven band of the ephod so that the breast piece shall not come loose from the ephod. So Aaron, shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And in the breastpiece of judgment you shall put the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord, regularly. The breast piece of judgment was basically a square pouch decorated with 12 precious stones, again, representing the 12 tribes of Israel, and containing the Urim and Thummim. Now, we aren't entirely sure what these were or how they functioned. We know that they were used in some way to determine the will of God when the will of God was not clearly known. You can, of course, consult the scriptures only on matters that the scriptures address. But what about questions that aren't addressed? Should we attack that hill? Are these people who have lost their identification papers truly priests? Those are the sorts of questions that were decided in the Bible by consulting the Urim and Thummim. Now, some suggest that they were basically two-sided stones or coins, perhaps one side white, one side black. And again, some suggest that they were cast like lots. If both landed white, then the answer was yes. If both landed black, then the answer was no. If one landed white and one landed black, then God wasn't going to give you an answer. Saul tried to consult the Urim and Thummim, and the Bible said that God wouldn't answer him. So that may have been it, but we aren't sure. The Urim and the Thummim do not appear to have been used beyond the Davidic age. Josephus, who was himself a priest, says that it had ceased to operate 200 years before his time. So that'd be about 150 BC or thereabouts. Again, we're just not sure. The basic symbolism, however, is, again, fairly straightforward. The high priest is going to go in to speak to God on behalf of his people, and God is going to speak to the high priest and give him judgment. In the New Testament, we rejoice in the knowledge that our high priest ever lives in the presence of the Father to make intercession for us. Thanks be to God. We re-enter the text at verse 31. You shall make the robe of the ephod all of blue. It shall have an opening for the head in the middle of it with a woven binding around the opening like the opening in a garment so that it may not tear. On its hem, you shall make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns around its hem with bells of gold between them, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate around the hem of the robe. And it shall be on Aaron when he ministers, and its sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord, and when he comes out so that he does not die. So, this was the robe over which the Ephod vest was worn. The pomegranates and the bells on the hem are its distinguishing features. The pomegranates likely symbolized the beauty of the Promised Land, they're one of the characteristic fruits of the land of Israel. According to Deuteronomy 8 8. The bells are not explained, but some scholars suggest that in that culture, bells were often worn by the servants of the king. It was considered rude to enter the presence of the king suddenly or unannounced. And thus, the servants of the king wore these little bells so that the king always knew that they were coming. So that could be it. It could just be another way of identifying the priests as basically the household servants of Yahweh, the true king of Israel. It may also have served to let the people outside know that the high priest was inside the tent, moving around, doing something on their behalf. That way, even though they couldn't go inside the tent themselves, they could identify with what was happening inside. That may be part of it as well. In verse 36, we begin to hear about the plate of gold on the turban that the high priest wore whenever he was serving in the tabernacle. "'You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it, like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord, and you shall fasten it on the turban by a cord of blue. It shall be on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead, and Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts.' It shall regularly be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. So this plate seems to serve a double purpose. It tells everybody else that the high priest is holy unto the Lord. He is about God's business. He is dedicated to the purposes of the king. And then it would also serve to remind him that he was engaged in sacred functions. Verse 39 you shall weave the coat in checkerwork of fine linen, and you shall make a turban of fine linen, and you shall make a sash embroidered with needlework. Now, some of the language here is difficult. This describes the under tunic that the high priest wore, but we're not sure whether this is a checkered work or a double textured work. The main idea, however, is that These are fancy clothes. The high priest is a royal servant, and he looks the part from top to bottom. Now, speaking of bottom, you will notice that there are no shoes, no footwear mentioned in this chapter for high priest or regular priest. And that's because priests served barefoot in the temple. Remember when Moses met with God through the burning bush, God said, take off your sandals because the place where you are standing is holy ground. Priests, did not wear sandals or shoes of any kind in the tabernacle because the whole place was holy ground. Verse 40 now begins to describe the uniforms of the priests. They're basically a less fancy version of what was worn by the high priest. For Aaron's sons, you shall make coats and sashes and caps. You shall make them for glory and beauty. And you shall put them on Aaron your brother and On his sons with them, and shall anoint them, and ordain them, and consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. You shall make for them linen undergarments to cover their naked flesh. They shall reach from the hips to the thighs. And they shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they go into the tent of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place, lest they bear guilt and die. This shall be a statute forever for him and for his offspring after him. So again, these garments are beautiful and glorious, high priest and regular priest. They all look like royal princes, and yet they function as humble servants. That's the idea. That's the symbol, and that's the rule for leaders in the kingdom of God, Old Testament and new. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to End of the Word. If you're interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, you can find those, of course, over at the website, theword.ca I hope you found our new app and are making good use of it. We're so excited about that, and we would love for you to make use of that. Download that. You can connect with us on Facebook. I hope that you do that too. You can connect there. We post daily encouragements and conversation starters, user reflections. Great way to get connected. Hope to see you there. And I hope to see you again real soon right here for another episode of Into the Word.